This is a loosely coupled show with James Hickey and Derek Martin. If you're new to this channel, we chat about software architecture and design. Make sure to subscribe to get all our latest episodes. If you have a suggestion for a topic or a guest, make sure to let us know in the comments. The question is, when should I use CQRS? Um, I don't know if this has came up like recently. Somebody was asking this. Yeah, so this, this goes back to what we just talked about, which is probably going to be a different episode. Um, I had someone last week contact me who's a, he's a new VP of engineering for, for a company, for a startup. Well, they're not really a startup. They've been around for a little bit. Um, yeah, but basically they, <clears throat> they have a particular architecture that they kind of is the typical SOA, and I'll put quotes around SOA, where you have it's a very data-intensive application, so very low write super heavy read um, in the back end a lot of like wcf windows communication foundation um, services which essentially translates into i have an api so, like so i have a client it's gonna ask an api okay i want to make i want to get some data from you and then that api calls basically a distributed function like it's just it's just a, it's a method that you're calling over the wire to another quote service that just does like a database query and then returns data. <laughs> like it doesn't do anything like more than that. So anyways, there's, I mean, there's a lot of, we've talked about this before. There's a lot of problems with that, which I'll call faux SOA, I guess. Um, so yeah, he's, he was asking me just, he had some ideas and, wanted to get some feedback. But one of the things he was, one of the big issues is just that low write, heavy read scenario where this this uh, this application or platform, whatever, um, they have a lot of static data that, that he was saying, basically might only change once a day. But right now as it stands, when, a, when somebody makes, when somebody uh, like a client wants to request some data, it does like a EF entity framework, which is an ORM, if anyone doesn't know, um, uses an ORM to do like a bunch of joins and queries, a table and returns some data. But he's saying like that data doesn't change that often. A lot of the, that data doesn't change very often. Um, so yeah, I mean, my, my, my response to that, you know, he said, well, should, you know, I'm thinking of, using a separate database and whatever. And yeah, so my thoughts were basically around, yeah, you could do that. You could, in this case, it's SQL Server. You have your your write tables or whatever. You have, you write to that database and then they have like other APIs that they consume information from like these outside sources and just put the data in these huge, massive tables. Um, and then those are pushed through some kind of like machine learning algorithm or natural language processing thing. And the results of that, I think the results of that are stored once a day. So like once a day, they pump all this information through this natural language processing thing and it pumps out this data. But that's, that data that's, doesn't change every, like only changes once a day. They're, they're always just querying against it. So yeah, I said, well, you know, <clears throat> yeah, you, you could do something like every day Take, take the results of that 
artifact or whatever you want to call it. Um, ideally, you want to basically take it as you would as you would represent that in JSON, like you would, because the queries are doing a bunch of joins and things like that. So, but why don't you just take the like client representation of that, which would be JSON, and you could use a document database and just pump that into you know a separate whatever Mongo or or whatever whatever you want to use. Uh, if you want to use Redis, just put put it in there. I don't like I don't know if Redis how much you can store with Redis though, so that might be a problem. But but yeah, then I, but it's like, do you really need the other database in this case? Because literally, this could be solved by caching. Like, what if you just do the query and do like a generic query or whatever, um, and just well, a you could either cache it. In your application, which there's a lot, this sounds, there's a lot of data in this case. So I don't think that would be necessarily a wise thing to do. Um, but yeah, just have like write tables and read tables. Like once a day, you just use the same database, and the artifact that you kind of produce once a day, just take kind of that representation of it that's already been kind of manipulated and all those joins have been performed, and just put that in a table. So yeah, my thoughts are like CKRS, like sometimes all you need is caching, or you know, sometimes it's it like the prince it's more about the principles, right? It's more about okay, uh, the read and writes are separate. It doesn't mean you need another database to do that. It doesn't even mean you need um, every time you write, you have an event that's emitted and then you have projections that you need to keep up to date and things like that. It's like, no, well, in this case, once a day, just run like a scheduled process that runs all your queries and puts the results in the table. And then you just query against those tables. Um, and I mean, yeah, you, in that case, you potentially save co the costs of having another database or whatever. But um, but yeah, you get a lot of duplicated data. But it's like, that's what a cache is. <laughs> so like, either way, you're going to have the data duplicated. Um, and, if you want to put that in quotes, duplicated because it's not the same data. So yeah, that's that's kind of what why I kind of put that down as a topic that's kind of fresh in my mind. And I think my big yeah, the big thing for me is just comes back to this idea of like what are the principles as opposed to what people might call like best practices or like the common, you know, the ways people commonly like, implement something. It's like, well, CQRS is really just about writing somewhere, not reading from the same place and caching that somewhere. Like, like just like as a simplified kind of explanation of that. Yeah, I think it always comes up and it feels like I'm always beating the same drum. <laughs> explaining it is because <laughs> it always it, it always gets conflated with secret asset is always gets confused with a whole other whack load of things yeah right you were just alluding to it it's like people assume it's event sourcing or it's or events just in general or eventual consistency or domain driven design, like all these things. And then you gotta be using like a message broker and all this yeah. stuff. It's like, and I get why, because if you probably search for CQRS, like at least like a few years ago, I used to, I took um, one of my talks, I 
literally search for it. One of the first articles had this crazy diagram of the one probably everybody's seen, which is basically <laughs> is a loop, right, of commands coming in, those being sent to a message queue, then asynchronously, some process picking those up that had an aggregate that was emitting events, that was using event sourcing, those were getting punched, pushed to an event bus, then projections were picking those up from a subscription to update a separate database that, you know what I mean, had this whole thing. And it's not yeah. what you would typically see. Yeah. And it's none of that. It's like, it's yeah. not, it's none of that. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like it's, it's the idea of having, it's just an extension of CQS, right? So CQS is for Bertrand Meyer is that a method should either change state or return state. And that's it. Right. And then all CQS is taking the next step further saying that as a whole, as a unit, something either writes like changes states, changes state or reads and return state and never both. That's it. Like that's, that's it. <laughs> so I like, and that seems so simple, but the simplicity of it allows you to get into that world where of everything I just talked about, where you could get into that diagram, if you ever, God forbid, needed to that whole thing. It just, it's an enabler. I always say it's just, it's a really simple thing that is an enabler. Yeah. So like what you were talking about is, um, to me, if you were to run some process that is, you know what I mean, making, I'll call it a projection of yeah. another state that you want, that you then are persisting, it's really the same thing. In it's a concept of creating a projection. Like, yeah. let's say you weren't doing that and it wasn't very intensive. It's, I always tell people, if you use a relational database that supports views, guess what a view is, <laughs> right? It's a projection. It's, yeah. it's, you're composing basically something from multiple sources that's projecting out to some end result that you care about. If you're doing that in some process or some code once a day, that's going to save you from, you're just doing it ahead of time so that you're not doing it at runtime all the time to create yeah. that projection. And that's kind of the beauty of projections in the CQRS sense, if you were used, however you ended up doing them is that you are left in a state that you just have for a particular use case, right? Like you have all the data in a particular way that's already composed the way you want it. And you're not doing all that composition at runtime. Yeah. And that's why I use the term cache because like, I mean, people think like projection and like you're saying, you think projection and automatically you think of that huge diagram with like events yeah. and, all this stuff, but yeah, it's like, well, it's just, yeah, you're just pre-caching what you want to like do, like what data is going to be needed up front, which yeah, it is a, pro a projection, but a projection is also a cache. It's, I mean, there's a nuance, like a projection isn't just a cache, but. Well, it could be because you could be running the projection constantly at runtime. Yeah. Right. It's just, if you persist it, then. Yeah. And like, yeah, it's just, it's, I think it comes back to just like this. And maybe this touches on what we had talked about, I guess a few episodes ago now, like just, yeah, there's a lot of like over complexity in the industry, people doing things that just seem so 
complex for what reason i mean yeah this yeah i that's why i prefer modular monoliths for example in general because i feel like i feel like yeah it's just everything is like the spectrum right it's just like monolith on one side of the spectrum well if that's bad then we have to go all the way to the other side and have all these like distributed tiny services and like do you really need to make your life that much more difficult like yeah maybe. what at what cost i guess in the benefit i can see different organizations depending on how big you are yeah it'd be really beneficial in probably some like the cost of it which there is a cost and depending like teams and all that stuff if yeah. you're one team and you're trying to build 20 services that are all separate projects and like maybe that's not ideal yeah i think it's just but i think it's just this I hate to use the word cargo cult, but it kind of is, is even the same thing what we were talking about in the other episode with like web stuff. It's there is, there's unfortunately this cargo cult mentality that happens. And I don't, I don't want to blame anybody because there's a lot of new people in the field that they're, you're going with the trend. You're going with yeah. what people are telling you is what's going on. I just, I feel like there's not enough, um, maybe leadership, maybe that's the wrong word. Um, guiding where things should be going. Yeah. There's not a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of just consent, not consensus, but going with the flow, I guess. In that yeah, sense. Just, this is how it's done. But yeah, to back to the original stuff is, it's not complicated uh, yeah. <laughs> at the end of the day. <laughs> It doesn't need to be, like Seacrest doesn't need to be complicated. It's just separating reads and writes. And even that's it. Like I always say too, um, related to the database thing is that it's exactly that. If you had your, I mean, these kind of normalized tables and then you are once a day kind of decomposing that and putting it into something normalized that you want to read, like, sure. Yeah. Like what's... It uh, doesn't get any really simpler than that. Like we've been doing that forever, really, with like <laughs> data warehousing and stuff. Like you yeah. compose this, you compose it. You want to turn it into this other way. And if you don't need it to be real time, like you said, and it just needs to be like a once per day processing thing, then like, yeah, it's like, this is kind of like a thing we've been doing for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, it it's... I guess the overarching thing that that comes to my mind is is like you mentioned in in this discussion but I guess a few episodes ago is like once you yeah once you've been in the industry for whatever I want to say long enough or that the cycle enough, has occurred or we keep doing this yeah but then yeah it's like okay but once you have the I think maybe once you have like some fundamental principles down then you can see you can see how like all these things that are new and shiny they really have already been done before and like right this this thing of like uh what is it no code no code platforms amazon just released this new one yeah honey code yeah and it's like okay you know they're not saying you're going to be able to build anything you want but i know a lot of business people who think that a lot of these like no code platforms are like the next 
big thing. But when you look historically, like that's already been tried so many different times. I, yeah, I can't, I, I'm, I'm on the, I'm in both of that camp because, um, I would say simple apps. Yes. But then if once you, once you need like customization and like, yeah, I just think nuanced like business apps, I guess. How many apps, and I've seen this from, uh, James Nugent who, uh, works or worked on, I don't know if it's still event store. Yeah. Um, and he's posted this many times, which I think is dead accurate, is that most apps, and I believe, I, he might not have said most, I'm saying most apps could be, if they were, if access, if you had a multi-user access, Microsoft access app, that was web-based. I'm yeah. fairly convinced. And you're kind of like Honeycode, uh, Microsoft Power Apps, all that stuff I think is kind of in that line. I just think yeah. it needs to like, like everything people hate access because then some app got created that served a purpose that served a need and it was really useful. And then like everything else, it just probably grew, 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 grew. And it wasn't maintainable. Yeah. And there's those situations that occur, but how many apps are we writing? And I tweeted about this a couple of weeks ago is like, we need less how to build a CRUD app. Yeah. Like we, like, we need less of that, right? Like use these tools for these CRUD things and, and for like simple workflows, right? Let's get out of this. Like, this is how you build a CRUD app in Angular, or whatever, like. Yeah, it's tough because then I think you need, well, for someone who's gonna do that, obviously you need to invest more, more time. It's a lot more time. But then as the reader, Yeah, it, I mean, for me, if I were going to go into a code base or a project or whatever, that was like, this is an example of a whatever production version of such and such kind of application. Um, yeah, that's going to take a lot more time to like go through and figure what figure out what's going on and, and all that stuff. And that, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how how involved people want to get right it's like that take yeah that takes like extra time and personal time to do and and that brings up a whole other topic of yeah. <laughs> like like how how much do you want to invest in your career and how yeah do you, is it just do you, is it just a job that you go to and and this impacts the whole other discussion we had about package managers and security and how much time you want to invest in that and, and which comes back yeah, just full circle to that episode, which is like, personally, like I have certain values that, you know, as again, somewhat of a professional or whatever. Um, yeah, I'm not just gonna do, do something that works, right? That quote works because I know yeah. better. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's like how many businesses really need a complicated architecture? Probably like not as many day. as what are being developed. Yeah. And like you said, access, if people aren't familiar, access was just like a file on your file on your file system, it was a database, and you could create forms of like forms that people could fill out and you know, 
create, you could create, create it also. Um, but yeah, it's like how many apps are literally yeah, just a form putting data in somewhere and then someone after the fact have going in and checking, checking this information. I could, I can see the benefit is like a lot of automation on top of that, I think is where this custom and stuff comes in, but yeah, I'm, I'm with all that if it happens. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or if it's just like, if we're just creating a, you know, I mean a crud app because we want to record, like I can't, I don't want to give specific examples, but I got a ton of them where it's just like, okay, it's just, it's data entry that yeah. like not even multi-user, maybe one person's doing it in some manufacturing plant. And at the end of the day, they go and run a bunch of reports. Like, yeah. Like you could create that. I'm not kidding you. Like in something that's probably Honeycode or um, whatever else. And it does not need any of the stuff that we're doing right now. And it would take a far significant um, less amount of time yeah. to do it. And it's, but now it's the, oh, you need this. It's got to be running a Docker or Kubernetes. And it's kind of, it's like, what? Like that's always yeah. the starting place now is like this. It feels like the starting place is way far outside but i'm going on another tangent and we were talking about secret so that's okay yeah i don't know how how much we stayed on track yeah that, maybe that's the beauty of what we're doing it's yeah <laughs> so we think all yeah. over the place yeah i'll just yeah that i'll, I'll throw this out this is just another thought is like until i think until you've actually run into like the legitimate pain point of what a tool solves you, like it's just it's just like uh yeah this idea of the cargo cult or it's just like auto automatic i'm just i'm just gonna put everything in docker i'm just gonna do everything but it's like I'm, yeah until you've actually run into like the pain point where it's like we're blocked on this and if we were using containers it would change it would you know make us unblocked or it's like it would significantly improve this process or this thing. Then it's like, okay, now I'm going to, let's look into it. Like, let's check it out. Let's dig into it. But yeah, it's like, I have a web app and I just want to push it up to the cloud. You don't need a container for that. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Loosely Coupled Show. If you did, please subscribe for more on software architecture and design.